Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salantano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. The 2023 Volume 2 is available now. An annual subscription includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com intelligence. So, John, I think you have a lot to say about the tower biz today. Hey, we're all about towers, Leslie. Um, yeah, a couple of reports this week uh, from um, major tower companies uh, domestically. SBA Communications uh, reported its second quarter results. And, um, um, you know, it, it too indicated a, a bit of a slowdown uh, amongst its uh, mobile network operator tenants. Uh, similar to what the other tower companies reported, but its um, its uh, revenues were up uh, a couple of percent, uh, reflecting up up at three percent. Actually, reflecting uh, I think mainly the the fixed escalators that it has on its uh, master lease agreements with um, with the carriers. Um, uh, by contrast, its international site lease and revenues were up twenty two percent year over year. Uh, mainly driven by the fact that they're, they're, the agreements they have in international markets are, are indexed to uh, uh, local inflation rates. So the escalators uh, will tend to be higher in a high inflationary environment like we have now. Uh, it's able to pass on its energy costs um, for like diesel or, or other energy costs, um, uh, pass those costs through to the carrier and um, and also, you know, foreign exchange rates. But um, it's... Um, <clears throat> It, it upped its guidance um, uh, for full year 2023 for consolidated site leasing revenues to 2.5 billion from uh, uh, compared to 2.3 in 2022. Um, its site development revenues declined just like the other tower companies did. The, you know, the we saw this the slowdown of C-band deployments by AT&T and Verizon. Uh, T-Mobile wrapped up its uh, network integration with uh, Sprint. A dish met its seventy uh, percent population coverage bogey in June, and so you know collectively these ac- uh, events uh, led to um, less activities on the towers. Um, typically, SBA's services business includes um, you know front end work like site acquisition and permitting and some engineering, and then you know site prep activities on the tower itself, either with its own staff or, or contractors. Uh, but interestingly, despite the decline in the quarter, uh, the company is maintaining its full year guidance for site development revenues uh, at around 215 million at the midpoint. And that's that's flat with last year. So it, it you know, it, it acknowledged the, the slowdown through the middle part of the year, but it expects by the end of the year, it's going to uh, it's going to be uh, uh, at the same level it was um, the year before. Um you know the in the quarter uh, uh, men activity uh, 
accounted for 42% of its bookings and new leases, uh, 58%. The, the big four operators, uh, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, and Dish accounted for about 89% of incremental domestic leasing revenues. Um, and, you know, the company says the, the you know, these MNOs are staying active, uh, albeit at a, at a lower level, but it sees a significant ramp in 5G related leasing activity uh, going into the end of the year and into new year with, um, you know, more C-band deployments, uh, again, 3.45 gigahertz uh, getting underway and uh, 2.5 gigahertz at T-Mobile um, uh, bought in auction 110 that, that is yet to act, uh, activate. Um, uh, with the quarterly announcement, it did. Um, uh, the company did say that it uh, signed a new long-term master lease agreement with AT&T. Uh, it's initially a term of five years uh, with renewal options, and the annual escalator, the company wouldn't comment specifically, but they said it's north of 3%. So this gives um, a, uh, SBA a, a, you know, a long-term view of its revenue stream with major customers um, like AT&T, and um, and and so it its outlook is that uh, you know it's staying positive and uh, and kind of weathering uh, the slowdown that we're um, we're into now. As of June thirtieth, the company owned a total of uh, thirty nine thousand four hundred twenty six towers, twenty two thousand of which are in international markets, mainly Brazil, South Africa, and Tanzania. And the balance of 17,400 plus uh, in the domestic market. Um, you know, when asked about um, any sites on new acquisitions, uh, the company said basically uh, they don't have any strategic hole to fill, but they're continually assessing, um, you know, possible acquisitions to expand its profile. And, uh, but uh, it also said that they don't see any attractive deals on the market right now. So let's swing internationally. And the, the company I'm, I'm always amazed by is uh, China Tower. China Tower is the largest tower company in the world. At the end of the um, uh, third quarter, uh, second quarter, at the end of June, it uh, grew its portfolio to 2,061,000 towers across China. Uh, that figures up 6,000 towers uh, since the end of uh, 2022. And in the same period, it gained 61,000 new co-locations, uh, bringing its um, tenancy ratio to um, to 1.67, uh, up from 1.65 at the end of 2022. Uh, the company says this demonstrates continuous growth in the in the number of site co-locations. Um, you know, it, what the numbers show uh, is that it's one core and two wing strategy is growing, and and we understand that the one core is its primary business with uh, serving the, what it refers to as telecommunication service providers, basically the carriers with either towers, uh, infrastructure or distributed antenna systems that are shared among these tenants. Um, the, um, you know, the TSP business accounted, accounts for 88% of its total revenues. And uh, the tower business itself is um, about 5.2 of the 6.5 billion that it reported for the quarter. Um, the, the, the tower business actually declined about 3% year over year, and it was mainly due to lease rate reductions um, under the company's updated commercial pricing agreements that it has with the three major state-owned mobile network operators, China Mobile, China Telecom, and China Unicom. 
I guess they go through um, uh, a practice uh, every so often to uh, adjust rates. And since they're all state owned, um, you know, they have the advantage of kind of setting setting the rates according to what the tower company, uh, the um, mobile operators uh, would like to achieve. But, um, um, you know, the uh, without these adjustments, uh, China Tower's revenues are actually up uh, Two percent year over year to uh, they would have been five point five billion. Uh, I just want to note that China Mobile is the world's largest mobile network operator with subscribers uh, counting uh, nine hundred and seventy five million mobile customers as of the end of December. So uh, and, and China Mobile accounts for about sixty percent of China Towers revenue. So uh, its tower business is is very active. It added uh, about uh, three hundred twenty five thousand five G cell sites in the first half of 2023, and we'd reported that a little earlier. Ninety five percent of these are mounted on existing structures. Uh, DAS is a big part of the uh, TSP business development activity. Um, DAS um, uh, is installed for in-building wireless systems in uh, across uh, China with a cumulative area covering 95 billion square feet. <laughs> that is amazing. And that's up uh, 48% year over year from uh, the, the, the tally they had uh, mid last year. Uh, DAS coverage also extends into high-speed railway tunnels and subways, um, accumulating over 13,700 miles of, of um of, uh, of track that they're they're covering uh, uh, with with the desk. The two wing strategy has two parts: uh, the smart tower business and the energy business. The smart tower business is actually involving di uh, digital towers, and these are specialized structures used for monitoring and surveillance in fields such as you know farmland protection, uh, forestry fire prevention, and the protection of the Yangtze River's ecosystem. Um, and that business was up 30% uh, year over year. The energy business is basically uh, with two parts. One is a battery exchange marketplace for light electric vehicles and backup power systems, um, uh, primarily in communications and finance uh, markets. So, um, you know, the, the energy business too was up almost 39% year over year. So, uh, interesting company to follow, uh, and uh, just the scale of operation, it's always surprising to me, and, and even as we've been in the tower business for a while. So there you have it. So, John, are you does China Tower model after any of the any of the American-based tower codes? Yeah, that's a good question, Jim. I, I, I can't tell that they are. I think they they sort of have their idea of what they need to you know, China Tower was formed by the three major carriers spinning off their tower business. So they already had a base of business and types of structures and, and where the structures are located. I'm sure they follow internationally what's happening in the United States and, and Europe and India uh, and other parts of the world. But um, uh, I can't really tell from, you know, the way they report their business that it. Uh, is is modeled after anything that we're, we're more familiar with. Although I can't imagine the tower business, if you get down to nuts and bolts, is all that different anywhere you go in the world, you know. But they're, you know, the structure types, the location of the structures, um, you know, can differ. Uh, uh, they, presumably they have fiber to the majority of these sites, although that's not all, that's not necessarily a given, but um, uh, it's just that, you know, to build 6,000 towers in six months, um, 
that's a pretty substantial base. So I, I think what they do is they take advantage of what, you know, the, the fact they have a large labor pool, but also the, the tower structures themselves are not necessarily um, as big or as, as the same type of structures that we, we see in this country and, and in other parts of the world. So they have a very uh, rapid deployment model that they, uh, they're using. So in, I think they're kind of setting their own pace as far as uh, building out their business. Interesting. I, and I was especially interested to hear about their specialized towers. That was. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that's interesting too. Yes. Uh, and uh, what they call the smart towers. So, um, you know, it's not a big part of their business, uh, you know, on the scale of things, it's less, less than 10% of their business, but it's, it's for specific applications. Okay. So, Shareholders have gotten in on the uh, lead cable issue. A shareholder for AT&T and a different shareholder of Verizon, they have filed um, lawsuits that they hope will be considered class action suits against their respective telecoms over the lead cable issue. Uh, John Bozinski's class action complaint against AT&T was filed in U.S. District Court of New Jersey and uh, the Verizon, uh, George Meehan, he filed in U.S. District Court for the Western District of Pennsylvania. They're both basically saying that mm, between a portion of 2020 and now that both AT&T and Verizon knew about the lead cables and violated federal, federal securities laws by providing false information to the SEC in annual reports and other uh, information that was publicly available. Because they're saying, they're alleging that, that the telecoms misrepresented or omitted information during the, the time period. And much of the complaints re, re, go over the Wall Street Journal articles and with each article that came out, the stock price went lower and lower. Um, Bloomberg reported last week the company that AT&T said lead sheathed cables comprise less than 10% of the footprint of roughly 2 million miles of total copper cables. And the, uh, the Verizon suit uh the Verizon suit quoted part of a Wall Street Journal article that that described an aerial lead sheathed cable that runs along the street and goes into, uh, it started in a town called Coal Center, PA, and then it goes into neighboring California, PA, and it runs near a, a school bus stop and, and a playground. But again, it repeats that the stock price gradually fell. And what they're both saying is that, um, all these disclosures caused shareholders to lose a lot of money. And so they are filing the suit against the company, but also against the executives or formal, former executives who were in charge during the time period. And um, Verizon uh, didn't immediately respond to a comment by Reuters, but it has said, and we've reported this, that it's doing testing of potential lead covered cables and it's cooperating with the EPA. Um, AT&T did provide a statement to Reuters saying, we believe the claims alleged by the plaintiffs are baseless 
and will vigorously defend the company. So, interesting times. You know, you know, Leslie, I, I, the, the point about um, the former executives, <clears throat> I would argue that none of these guys were around when those cables were put in. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, yeah. and it's something they, they, they have to live with. And on their calls, they, they noted the fact that, you know, a lot of the records uh, for these cables, you know, the engineering records and, yeah. uh, and the like are lost or, or are just missing or, you know, with multiple acquisitions in between and, uh, yeah. and change of staff and change of locations. Uh, you know, these, these, these cables, they stopped using them in the fifties. And at that time, the records were all manual and, and paper, no computers back then. Yeah. Right. So um, I would say they're, you know, if anything, they're probably guilty of, uh, inadvertently omitting any updated data on this because it just wasn't a big part of, it has not been a big part of their, their business for 50 years, 60 years. Yeah. And, years. and they, and they were doing what was accepted practice at the time, leaving the yeah. cables where they were, because I think the fear was like asbestos. If you disturbed it, you could release some of the toxins in the air or, or the water, wherever it was. So, yeah, we'll see how this turns out. But even the federal government isn't hopping up and down and saying the telecoms have to pay. This is immediately bad. They're, you know, so nobody's pointing a finger here. They're just saying, let's figure out what it, where it is, what it is, and if we have to do anything. I don't, so this will take a while to play out. Um, Jim, I think you, oh, we had a layoff story this week. Erickson? Yes, uh, Leslie, among the, some of the, the sad news we sometimes have to report, um, we've, we've lately had to uh, cover a few layoffs in the industry, and this latest one was Ericsson, who had sent out a, a memo to its employees um, last week that uh, they were going to be laying off 750 Tech workers, not just you know, administrative uh, people, but but uh, actually guys and women out out in the field, um, directly impacting um, wireless infrastructure workers out there. So um, we we were glad that we were the the medium that first reported this, and we basically broke this story uh, to the industry. So we're always that's always our our commitment to everybody to 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 try to get the news out as, as soon as we have it, and and this time we were uh, uh, we were the lead dog on this. So while we take pride in that, at the same time, it's it's always a, a sad uh, uh, a sad part of the business to to say that there's going to be 750 people out of work as of September 29th. The company. Uh, said that the affected employees were told they could apply for any roles of interest at Ericsson. And if they do not find another position at Ericsson, they will have the opportunity for a severance package of nine weeks, uh, severance pay of, of uh, six months, continuation of their medical and dental uh, plan through COBRA for six months calculated based on their last day of employment. Uh, the note to these employees went on to say that um, the strategic change will provide added flexibility, reduce cost, and simplify our operations. 
allowing us to operate more efficiently and better serve the changing needs of our customers. This change is limited to field-based delivery service by Ericsson employees. Uh, some of the employees that we did talk to uh, who were affected by this, uh, you know, made no bones about it. They're, they, one, one said that uh, they're glad Ericsson's trying to help them look for new jobs and trying to get authorized contractors to pick up uh, the, the climbers and, and the tech workers, um, but said uh, we're all going to have a hard time making the same amount of money or finding great benefits and such. It's just a lot to think about is what what this, this one person said. So um, while Erickson's streamlining and, and uh, making making cuts like that, it, it still is uh, uh, sad to see how um, individuals have to uh, have to bear up under this and, and have to kind of carry the weight of this. Uh, so hopefully um, there are positions for them out there and uh, we hope they, they all find uh, find good employment in the near future. But um, we will continue to report these these stories as they come along. And at the same time, we'll, we'll try to continue to report anyone who's hiring or any new uh, companies that are building new plants or, or uh, you know, making, making any kind of uh, uh, expansions in, in their networks. I know Nokia just announced that uh, they're going to be putting up some, uh, uh, some new infrastructure and um, that will employ 200 people. So um, we're hoping that the industry is dynamic enough to, to be able to handle this and, and be able to absorb uh, some of these some of these layoffs, but nonetheless, they are they're they're sad for the people that are affected by it. So, Jim, we we know that um, the, the the impact of this announcement is on the field forces, but Ericsson still maintains a large operation for engineering and product support in this country. Still, right? Yeah, yeah. It didn't seem to affect uh, any division other than the the field workers and, um, and, but they did say that, um, yeah, I think they're, they're going to try to remedy that with, with using uh, more, more freelance and, and more third party yeah. Yeah. Uh, vendors. So, um, you know, they're, they're, hopefully there's, there's some opportunities uh, there as well. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you all for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. For a complete rundown of all the week's stories, check out our Saturday edition. See you in a week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. 